Lord, you are such a good God. And as we've seen you work in this situation, we realize uh, you're very involved, very engaged. You have presented an opportunity that really is just about unbelievable. But you've also called us to be engaged in this. You've called us to do our part. You've called us to reach this city and to invite people and to make a difference in their lives. And so, Lord, now you've created some urgency for us on this, and we just pray that you would uh, lead us, help us to be bold, help us to do our part in reaching this city. We pray that uh, the next time this comes around that they would look at our church and say, you are the ones, you're the ones, we're so excited to have you stepping into this space. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do your work, help us to do our work, Lord, together, help us to change Huntington Beach. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. Last week, we are starting, as uh, Lowe said, we're starting this new series called Boldly. But the last two weeks have really set this up. And I don't want to go into great detail, but two weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah. And the big thing that Isaiah learned as God was calling him into ministry, sort of bringing him into what he wanted him to do, is he said, Isaiah, it's not about you. God said, it's about me. It's about me. It's about my weight. It's about my glory. You're going to be tempted to think it's about you. It's about your glory. It's not, Isaiah. It's about my glory. And then last week, we looked at a really interesting story that sort of revolves around a prophet named Elisha. And uh, he's actually not the most prominent character. There's four lepers in this story, four people that have leprosy. And in the course of the story, they go from being the poorest people in the city, uh, the most outcast, the most desperate, to being the wealthiest in like, in, in an hour. They go from the worst to the best. But the thing that we noticed that was so cool about this story is instead of just holding on to all the wealth for themselves, instead of holding on to the good news for themselves, they said, this is not right for us to keep this to ourselves. We must tell everyone else. And so last week, we learned this really important thing about God's people is we are always meant to be externally focused and to bless people with the blessing that God has given us. If God's given us something that is miraculous, if God's given us something that is good news, if God has given us some kind of blessing, it's really our job to bless others with that, to pass it along. And in fact, if you look at the characters of the Old Testament, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's really two driving themes. It's always about God's glory. It's always about God's weight. Never make it about you. And it's always about extending his love, his blessing, his purpose, his wealth. That those are sort of the two beats. The people that get it fall into that. The people that don't get it fall out of that. And as we move into now the book of Acts that we're going to look at, those two beats continue to push through. But last week, we did kind of a cool thing. I don't know if you thought it was cool. It made me uh, pant. But I went running around, as you remember, and we played this game called In or Out, and we had some people stand up, and without me telling them what they were in for, they just said, in. And uh, so I gave them $20, and at the end of the message, I said, listen, use this $20 to give it to someone else, to, to give the wealth to someone else. And just if they ask, tell them why you're doing it. Tell them about your God. Tell them about your church. Tell them why you would do this. And we had a couple of people that actually took the challenge, and they have a couple of cool stories. So Joey is one. I'm going to meet you right over here, Joey. And uh, we want to hear 
your story on this. And then Steve, are you around, Steve? Yeah, make your way over here. Here, Joey. All right. Hello, testing. Good. All right. So, Joey, you took this $20 and something happened. So, tell us what happened. Well, you said to uh, for everyone to go out and give their cards and everything. And if they chose to take $20 and do that, they could. Um, my wife and I decided to kind of pool our money together and we were kind of praying about it and, and uh, trying to figure out who we were going to do this for and, you know, just kind of who we were going to talk to. And we went out to dinner one night and happened to walk by on the way to the restroom, and I saw a, uh, a family with three young children, and I decided to go ahead and just do it right then and there. So we pulled our money together, gave them the money, nervous, you know, teeth chattering and everything, and <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, I know I'm a stranger. My name's Joey. I go to, you know, Mariner's Huntington Beach, and I'd just like to pay for your dinner or whatever else that you need. Here's 40 bucks, you know, just whatever you guys need. Here's a pamphlet on our church if you guys are interested. You know, come check us out if you want. And I quickly walked off because I was scared. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I went back, ate my food, and it just so happened that as we were leaving, I happened to glance over at the table as we were walking out, and they were looking at something on their phone. I'm, I'm sure it was the, the website, but it could have been something else. <laughs> All right. That is awesome. Let's Can you relate to uh, sort of the nervousness part? Maybe you would have been a little nervous, too. All right, Steve, let's hear about it. Well, I, I, you know, I started out this week, and I, I said, I'm going to adopt a little rule. I'm only going to give this 20 bucks to someone I really feel led to give it to. So after our rooted uh, uh, get-together on Wednesday night, I drove down to Huntington Beach, and I said, I'm going to walk around Huntington Beach and pray for Huntington Beach, and I'm going to find somebody that I'm going to give this money to. So I did that. I prayed for Huntington Beach. I prayed for, for us. I prayed for Mariner's Huntington Beach. I prayed that Mariner's Huntington Beach would impact Huntington Beach uh, for Christ. And I didn't find my guy. So, <clears throat> so that was all fine. I'm sure the Lord will honor my prayers. And I headed back home with 20 bucks burning a hole in my pocket. So in the morning I said, well, you know, I know, I know a homeless guy that uh, frequents a corner near my work. And I said, I'm going to go find him and I'm going to buy him breakfast with, my, with the 20 bucks. He wasn't there. Uh, I went back four times to find him, got in my car, drove back. He wasn't there. So on my way home from work on Friday evening, I said, okay, this is Santa Fe Springs. There is going to be somebody here that I'm going to be led to give this $20 to. So I drove slowly, and I looked, and I said, maybe this person, maybe that person. And then I saw a woman walking up the street, and I said, this is the lady. So I turned around, I drove up the block, got out of my car, and walked down the street so I could meet her. And I took my $20 out, and I said, I walked up to her, and I said, uh, excuse me, sorry to bother you, but I'd like to give you this $20, and let me explain why. I said, the person, I didn't earn this $20. Somebody gave me this $20. And when they gave it to me, they said, give it to someone who I feel would be blessed by having it and I'd like to give it to you. And her face absolutely lit up. When she understood, and she bought my story, she, her face absolutely lit up. I'll never forget the look on her face. And she proceeded to just unload about her life. Uh, you have no idea how hard it is. You have no idea how much this money will help me. Payday isn't until the third. She explained that she gives and gives and gives and gives and no one ever gives 
back to her. And you could just, you could just tell that it, it had an effect on her. And I said, well, now that you've explained that, I want you to know that in the same way that I didn't earn this $20 and neither did you, we don't earn God's love. He loves me exactly the same way he loves you. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I believe that. She says, I'm a Christian. And we just had this wonderful moment of fellowship together that I'm sure she'll never forget and neither will I. Um, you know, and it, it just struck me that it was, it was very clear. Not only were we blessed, but everyone that, of course, I called Robin right away. And I know that she told everyone she ran into that weekend that the blessing multiplies. And the other thing that I felt as I walked, as I, I got back in my car and there's sort of an adrenaline uh, rush, um, I just had this sense, I want to give everybody $20. <laughs> and, 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 and literally, it's like, I'm going to stop and give him $20. I'm going to stop. I didn't, but, but, but that's the sense. And isn't that the way stewardship works? You know, we give joyfully and it repeats itself. And then there was one other thing that, that just the Lord just handed to me as part of that, which was I need to think of each of the $20 in my pocket in the same way. Hmm. I didn't earn that $20. This is, every $20 that I have is given to me to be used as directed by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Amen. You know, as those guys are telling that story, you start to realize just how differently that is than how we normally think, right? We don't normally think that way about what we've got or what we have to offer other people. So it's great to be reminded when we're sort of forced into a situation or, or you know, challenged that this is really the way that God wants us to operate, just as Steve was saying, is we've got something to give away that is an incredible blessing to others. And why does it make us so nervous to do that? Why, does it, why do we pull back? And what we want to talk about today actually ties perfectly into this idea, believe it or not, it starts back with prayer. It has to do with how we pray about things very often because the way we pray gives away our heart. The way we pray sort of sets our mind in a certain direction. And so we want to talk about that today. And it's interesting because prayer is something that everybody knows about. In fact, it is one of the, the things that we share with people around the world, with people that have different religions, totally different backgrounds, whether it's in China or India or the Middle East, whether it's in Africa or South America, Europe, it doesn't make any difference. Everyone knows about prayer and people pray. The question is, what do we pray about? And we had a little video we wanted to show you that uh, might give you sort of an inkling of what typically people pray about. Let's roll it. Prayed for. And that's like wishing, I guess. What have I prayed for? Wow. Peace in the home, peace in the world. Pretty out of reach, but uh, it's, uh, you can keep dreaming. Sometimes I prayed about the most ridiculous things, like, please, will you, answer, will you make that person answer the phone? As a kid, you prayed for a sunny day. That's about it, you know. Like... Around 2007... I uh, prayed that I could walk again. I had a motorcycle accident. Joy every day of my life. That's it. Just wanting to love every second of every day of my life. Half the world's praying. <laughs> All the religions, you know, praying. And where's it, where's it lead to? I guess it gives me hope. And 
it makes me believe that maybe there's someone out there, you know, watching, listening. That's what I've been really praying for, for more of God's change in my life so so God can work through me. The Bible says that God can work through anyone. Now, my ancestors are always with me, so when I need things, I call for them and then they'll tell me, you know, whether they're, it's right or right, you know, what I have to do. I give up. Nothing's working. It's really hard. It's too hard. So, yeah, I'll give praying a go. All right, next. <laughs> All right, well, you can see those people aren't, don't live around here, but their prayers probably sound a lot like the prayers of people around here. And the thing that's interesting to me is how often are, are our prayers kind of those prayers, and, and I'm going to give them a little label. They're called the Ricky Bobby prayers, the baby Jesus prayers. If you saw Talladega Nights, you sort of know what I'm talking about. It's the prayers that are kind of small, kind of safe, and we're kind of self-absorbed with our prayers. Now, those certainly aren't the only prayers that we give, but if you think about this, and we actually asked the teaching team at Mariners this week, what do you think people pray about? What do you pray about? And as we started to list up things, just you know, sort of brainstorming, here's things that we pray about. We were amazed to see how many of our prayers revolve around us revolve around making my life more comfortable, making my life uh, more successful, about growing more hair, about looking more attractive, about living in a certain place, about something at work going a little bit better, about giving me wisdom for a decision that I need to make, about a relationship that I have that's kind of falling apart. So often our prayers revolve around what we need and, and what we want. And let me make it Perfectly clear, there is nothing wrong with those prayers. God says that he cares about the things that we care about, that he's interested like a father is for a child. He wants to hear even our smallest, most self-absorbed prayers. He loves it and he wants it. But here's the point. Is there something more that God also wants us to pray about? Is there something just beyond what's on my agenda or what works for me? Is there something that God would say, I'm totally fine with that. Bring it on. I want to hear it. If it matters to you, it matters to me. But is there something more we could pray about? Is there something other that God wants us to pray about? And today what we're going to do, this is really a cool thing. We're going to look at the very first recorded prayer that the first church ever made. The very first one. This is the first one Luke, who tells us about in the book of Acts, and he's the writer of Acts, he was a researcher. And so he researched to find out what was the very first prayer. I'm just curious, what's the first prayer recorded once the church started? And he, he found it, and they had actually remembered it, and so they spilled it off. They told him exactly what the prayer is. Does that sound like that would be a cool prayer to hear? Would you guys be excited about hearing that cool prayer? Okay, you're not ready to hear about that cool prayer. Not yet. Because I need to give you a context for why this prayer was prayed. It is an amazing prayer. It really is. In fact, believe it or not, and you'll see this in a second, that prayer actually impacts us today. We are the recipients of that prayer, believe it or not. And it is so counterintuitive. It's so different than how we normally pray. I think you're really going to, you know, your, your eyes are going to be open. My eyes are open when I see this prayer. 
So anyway, here's how the story opens. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles around. Raise your hand because we're not going to bring everything up on the screen. Just raise your hand. We'd love to give you one. Keep your hand up. Here, we got one here. We've got the Bible people that are walking around. They're from the Gideons or something. All right, here we go. We've got all these Bibles. Just keep your hands up. We'll get you a Bible. And uh, this will definitely help you. Bible is a great thing to bring. If you've got it on, you know, your little iPhone, whatever, just open up your Bibles. Here we go. Acts chapter 3. It starts off with these words. Uh, it says, one day, Acts 3.1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now you're going to think, okay, so they're going up to pray. We're going to hear about the first prayer when John and Peter are in the temple and that's not what happens. They're going in. They actually get interrupted on the way into the temple. They have to walk through a gate to get into the temple. And as they walk through a gate, there is a lame man that is there. And uh, I understand that when I say lame in our culture, it means something different than what they meant back then. You know, when my kids say, oh, my teacher's so lame. And I say, oh, she can't walk. They're like, Dad, you're so lame. You know, it's like, <laughs> all right. So, no, this was actually somebody who was crippled, somebody that had not walked since birth. In fact, we're told everybody knew this person because he had been at the gate for decades. Everyone knew this person. Peter and John come walking in. They, this guy sees them. He cries out for some money. They have no money. But then they do this incredible miracle, and they say to him, we have no money for you, but in the name of Jesus, walk. And Peter reaches down, grabs his hand. I'm sure this guy was like, this guy's a freak. Don't touch me. What are you trying to do? And he picks him up. And as he picks him up, this guy's legs strengthen. He not only gets up, he not only is sort of unstable on his feet. It says that immediately he got up, he walked around, and he started to leap. To leap for joy, basically. I mean, it was this amazing scene. And I'm sure this guy, it was the farthest thing. You know, we talk about it takes faith. If you want God to work in your life, you've got to show faith. Faith healing requires faith on your side. There's nothing in the story about this guy having faith. All he did was ask for money. What happened was beyond his imagination. He gets up. He starts jumping around. Now, imagine this. This is a busy corridor. This is a busy gate. People are walking in and out of the temple. They've seen him for decades there. What do you think is going to happen when everybody sees this guy up and walking around and jumping around and screaming and saying, I can't believe that I can walk. And he's just, you know, sort of frolicking. He's just, you know, jumping. He's probably doing leapfrog. He's doing whatever. He's so excited. It causes a huge stir. And now everyone is starting to pay attention. They go, isn't that, isn't that that guy that's, that's been, you know, isn't that whatever John? And John's been down for as long as I've known him. What's happened? What's happened? And all of a sudden, a crowd assembles around Peter and John. And Peter, being a preacher at heart, cannot miss the opportunity to give a message. And so he gets up, and he gives a message to the people that are around. And his message is pretty straightforward. He says, now listen, you're acting as if we're some kind of miracle workers. We're not. We're ordinary people. We're just like you. This was not done in our name. This was not done in our power. This was done in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, you remember, because just you, you, you need to take this into consideration. Jesus, just a few months earlier, had actually been killed in Jerusalem. 
He had been killed probably just a couple of hundred yards from where they are standing in the temple, just outside the walls. This is the same Jesus that had been buried and had risen again. And everyone in Jerusalem now was starting to know this. This was not a secret thing. This wasn't something that took faith to believe. They said, it's in the name of Jesus that this guy can now walk. That's what's happened. Furthermore, Peter goes on to say, and your first run-in with Jesus, the way that you handled him, was not so hot. I mean, you actually turned him over. You actually cried for a criminal to be released, Barabbas, so that Jesus would be crucified. You remember that? That was not that long ago. You were there. Some of you were there. You remember that story. This is the one. It's in his name that this man can walk. So anyway, it says people were so impressed with this. People were so impacted by this that many, 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 many more came to believe. And it says that at this time in Jerusalem that 5,000 men believed in Jesus, were Jesus followers. And that's a little chauvinistic, and I'm sorry, that's just the way that it's written. But what that means, if there was 5,000 men, there was probably 10, 12, 15,000 people, if you take into consideration the women, you take into consideration the children. There was about 15,000 people in Jerusalem now that is coming out of everything that's happening who are believing in Jesus. This is a major movement. This is like 20% of the city in the last few weeks have become Christians. So this is a major move. And it doesn't get beyond the religious leaders who are now feeling very uncomfortable with what's going on. And so they actually go to Peter and John. They call them in. They arrest them because they need to get them out of the temple because there's a huge commotion now. They keep them overnight. The next day, they come to Peter and John and they say, listen, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you talking about Jesus? Jesus is gone. You are creating so much commotion. You're creating so much pressure. And Peter, being the pastor at heart, sees this as another preaching opportunity. And in Acts chapter 4, he gives another message to them. And again, he's super direct. He said, this Jesus whom you killed, you were the very leaders. You're the Sanhedrin. You're the same guys that basically sentenced him to death. You men that were sitting here and sentenced him to death, I just want you to know he's not gone. Still, in his power, in his, it, it, you know, through his followers, there's this amazing thing that's going on. He's not gone, and he's not going to leave. And there's really sort of this uh, great statement about them. Is, it says, when they looked at the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so, you know, they look at these guys and they go, these are just fishermen. I mean, we are the trained leaders of the day. We've been trained in rabbinic training, and, and we know all these things, and the people follow us, and we're, we're the high ups. I mean, it was as if, you know, somebody comes into Oxford that just has a high school education, and all of these professors are saying they should listen to us, they should follow us, and yet everybody is following these guys with just the high school education. It makes no sense to them. They're condescending to Peter and John. It's like, what are you guys doing? You're so out of your league. And all they say is, listen, this is what we have to talk about. And it's an interesting note that as Luke is researching this and had found out how the Sanhedrin responded, they said, they seem like they're just unschooled, ordinary men. 
but they have this incredible courage. And in fact, the word for courage in that passage is boldness. They have this boldness. They act as if we can't do anything to them, uh, as if there's nothing that we have that they need, that, you know, any kind of bowing up we're going to do, any kind of power play we're going to play, they act as if it's unimportant, as if it doesn't make any difference to them. They have this boldness, and it was unnerving to them. So they're trying to figure out, the Sanhedrin are trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to do it? And what makes this even a more awkward conversation is the guy that's crippled is standing next to Peter and John. Standing next to Peter and John. So what are they going to say? Well, we think you're full of blank. You know, there's nothing to this. Well, John here thinks there's something to it. You know, I, I didn't see you heal him. I didn't see you heal him in any name. There's something to this. So they say, all right, here's the best we can do. They say, don't say anything else about Jesus. Just don't say anything else about Jesus, and we'll let you go this time. And so it, it picks up, and this is where we're going to start bringing the verses onto the screen. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go uh, to verse 18. Called them in again, commanded them not to speak or uh, teach at all in the name of Jesus, and so now they've got to make a decision. What are they going to do? They've been, the, these religious leaders have said this. These were the same people that killed Jesus. They actually have some kind of authority. They could make life very rough. And you know, the question that I have, when you face a crisis, when some kind of challenge comes careening into your life, what is the first thing you think to do? What's the very first thing you think, I've just got to do this? How many of you would say, you know what, really, in all honesty, I think I pretty much pray first. When something that's out of control hits me, I pray. Okay, good, good. And I believe you, totally. I'm just saying, I'm not that guy. I am not the guy that prays first. To my shame, I say it. You know what I do? I try to figure it out. I try to think, what resources do I have to make this thing work out? I mean, that's just me. And, you know, some of you are so much wiser because you go, no, 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 I've, I've played that game before. I just know to pray. I'm just saying I don't do that. Not typically. Prayer is actually, and why am I up here speaking? I don't know. It's like one of the last things I think to do because my first natural impulse is I can figure this out. I can make this work. I will power up. I'll do it on my own. But that wasn't their first impression. It says, in verses 23 and 24, it says, On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And so, you know, that's their first reaction. Their first reaction is, we're not going to come up with a game plan. We're not going to come up with, you know, sort of a strategy. We're not going to go and lead a riot. We are going to just pray. We're just going to come to God. And this turns out, believe it or not, this turns out to be the very first prayer that is recorded by the early church. Are you excited to hear about this prayer? Okay. Are you really excited? Okay. Because if you're not that excited, we can close in prayer right now and you guys get an early break for lunch. No, but you want to hear it, right? All right. Here we go. So we open up and in verse 24, 424, let's read this together. It says... Sovereign Lord, they said, 
You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so here's the very first thing that they do. The first thing they recognize is that while it appears that all power is with this leadership, while it appears that they hold all the cards, they immediately say, you know, that's not actually true. It's not actually true that they hold all the power. Who holds all the power? God holds all the power. God holds all the power. And they immediately fall back to understanding God is the creator. God made them. God throughout history has done whatever he chooses to do, however he chooses to do it. And so at this point, the very first thing they say is, this is not about them. This is not about their threats. This isn't about what they can or can't do. This isn't a comparison between the resources that the religious leaders have versus the resources that the disciples have. They aren't sort of playing that back and forth, thinking, well, they're smarter than us, or they have, you know, they have the ear of the Roman authorities that can kill anyone they want, or they've got all these people that you know, worship in what their system is now. They don't think that way, because all they think about is, it isn't about us against them. It's about whatever is going on with them versus who? Versus God, right? Versus Jesus. That's what this is really about. And they say if that's the case, if it's about all that they can throw at it and who Jesus is, their initial thought is who wins? Easy thing. Who wins? Jesus. Jesus wins. He wins every time. He never loses. So they begin by saying, you know, he's the sovereign God. He's in control of all things. The word is despot, which um, we have a negative connotation in English for a despot, like a king that's a despot. But really what despot simply means is it's somebody that has absolute control, absolute authority. And they begin by saying, God, you have absolute control and authority in this situation. They go on to quote Psalm 2, uh, which is an interesting psalm. And let me just say this, because I don't want to go through the psalm right now. But in their mind, Psalm 2 immediately taught them something about God. And they give a short quote to it. But if you go to all of Psalm 2, here's the focus of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 basically says that throughout history, when people who are following God, people who are on God's side, have confronted issues that seem overwhelming, and they're being attacked or persecuted, that God always comes through. God always comes through. But with this really interesting thing, he always comes through, but not always in the way that followers think he should. Does that sound kind of familiar to your life? You pray for something. You ask God for something. Something's really out of control. Something's going really badly. Some relationship's going south. Something's happening with your finances. Something's going on at work or at school. Something's happening with your health. You pray. You pray, sovereign God, sovereign God, I know that I'm in your hands. I know that you can control this. And what Psalm 2 says is he jumps in with both feet and very often does not do what you think he should do. But... The point of Psalm 2 is he is in control, though. He actually is working a plan that's even better than the plan you could come up with. He's going to jump in. And so here's the very first part of the prayer. It has to do with God's sovereignty. And the question always, if you're going to be bold, 
is whose hands do you actually believe you're in? If you believe you're in the hands of the situation, or you're in the hands of the people that are opposing you, or you're in the hands of you know, some kind of force that's working against you, or, or some catastrophe that's hit, you'll never be bold. If you believe you're in God's hands, and God has a, a hold of this, then all of a sudden you see it in a completely, totally different way. Whose hands are you in? It's amazing to look then at how they pray after this. It says uh, in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great, what? Boldness. With great boldness. Now, this is such an interesting thing because if you looked at it, you'd say, no, boldness is what that got them into this mess. It's because Peter can't shut up. Peter's facing these guys that are like really angry and have a lot of power. And he's just like spouting off and he just keeps saying, you killed him, you killed him, you killed him. It's in the name of Jesus. No salvation any other way. And you would think that they'd say, listen, we're not praying for boldness. We're going to pray for safety. We're not praying for boldness. We're praying for Peter to get a clue. Stop spouting off, Peter. You're putting us in a bad light. This is making matters worse. But they don't do that. They don't believe that they're in the hands of these people. And so they're already bold, and they say, what we need now, God, is more boldness. We need to step in when you create even worse situations. We need to stand for Jesus no matter what happens. Give us more boldness in this circumstance. It is an amazing prayer. It really is. It is so counterintuitive to the pray, prayers that, that I pray. You know, I pray when I'm going on a journey for safety. Traveling mercies. You know, make me safer. I already only have like a one one thousandth chance of getting in an accident. But Lord, in your sovereignty, even take that away. I want to even be safer than that. Or, you know, I love this prayer. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. It's like, what kind of prayer is that? Well, I mean, I actually don't even know what that prayer means, to be totally honest. Bless this food to the nourishment of my body. But, you know, even if you could figure it out, I mean, it has to do with probably a pretty safe... I mean, the odds are I'm not going to choke and die on this food, or this food is not poison, or any... You know, the food is probably going to nourish me in some kind of way. I don't really need to pray about that. God's like, you know, that's not that hard to fulfill, Kev. That's not really the boldest of prayers, just if we're being honest with each other. That's not like up there in the 9 and 10 range. What is a bold prayer? What is a bold prayer? So I'm playing basketball with these guys on Saturday morning, and uh, they you know, just in the most loving way I can say it, they're as heathen as you could possibly be, you know? They tell the worst jokes, really funny, really bad. They cuss each other out up and down. They get angry about the stupidest things. Uh, they actually have kind of a cool friendship around all this immorality that's spouting. They talk about things they do on the weekends and things they do without their wives, and they talk about their wives a lot, and there's just all kinds of junk that's, that's floating around. And so I pray for boldness. I pray, Lord, make me bold. And it was actually a big deal for me to, to sort of unveil to them that I'm a pastor at a church. 
because you know most of you haven't been in that setting, but it just makes people look at you differently. You know, they just do. And these guys, you know, it really makes them look at me differently. And I'm not just one of the guys anymore to them. You know, whatever I am, I'm something way different. That was kind of a bold move. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I wasn't there, apparently some guy came up on Sunday morning, because they play also Saturday and Sunday morning. Somebody came up, and he basically said, uh, and I don't know if he had pamphlets or not, but he said, you need to be in church, men. And they're like, what? And he goes, you're going to hell. You need to go to church. And I'm just like, oh, I just pray for somebody like that to impact these men that I'm trying to build a relationship with because it makes Christianity look so good. But anyway, this guy comes in, and he sort of gives a spiel. He doesn't know them. They don't know him. Finally, you know, he leaves, and they are just buzzing. And you know what they can hardly wait for? Their next conversation with me. Oh, my gosh. And so I show up the very first thing. Oh, you should have met, you know, so-and-so, you know, whatever this guy's name is, Leonard, who came to the basketball court, and he explains a story. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is so bad. And so from there, they, they really, they just go wild on Christianity. They go wild on Jesus. They start saying all kinds of things that are just like, whoa. And I would love to stand here today and say, Kevin was so bad bold in that situation. And I'm just telling you, I wasn't. I, I just said, I am so sorry. He doesn't represent all Christians. And, you know, I hope that you would see that we don't all handle things the same way. But as they were sort of going off and not listening to that, and I've played it over in my mind, and I said, I don't know what I should have said, but as they were talking about Jesus the way they were talking about Jesus, I needed to lean into that. And you know what? I didn't. I didn't. And I pray for boldness with those guys. I don't always come up the way that I should. But I'm in physical therapy also from basketball, just so you know. I bro <laughs> I've broken my wrist and damaged something else and so you, that you don't want to know about. But anyway, it's just sort of a mess. And so I'm in physical therapy, and the lady that treats me is not a believer. And so I pray for boldness with her. And she gave, had given me, I'd seen an article in her, in, in her office, and I said, can I borrow this magazine? And she goes, yes, you can. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the magazine article says when I bring it back. And it was about that God, they believe that there's multiple universes. You guys heard me teach about that. Well, it was from her magazine that I learned that. And so as she, uh, when I went back, I said, oh, this article was so interesting. You know, there's multiple universes. She goes, you don't say. And I said, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, how big is everything out there? And I had a decision to make then. Am I just going to leave it at that? Or am I going to tell you, tell her what I told you? And I said, and you know what's the most interesting thing? The Bible says that God holds that together with his word, like with his pinky. And she looked at me and she just said, oh. <laughs> I mean, and I just said, isn't that amazing? She's like, yeah. And, you know, she, from there, she spilled right off into something else she wanted to talk about. But then this last time I went in, I just started building on that again. We started talking about other things. And you know what? She's warming up to discussions about God at this point. And in that case, I've been a little bolder. I've sort of leaned into it. I've stepped into something. There always comes a moment of truth, and you have to decide, am I going to take the road of boldness? And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But here's the amazing thing. This is what the apostles pray for. Boldness. Give us boldness. And then the final thing that they say is stretch out your hand 
to heal and perform signs and wonders uh, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So it's the idea of give us boldness and then stretch out your hands through us and do amazing things. Let us be a part of this because of course they had been a part of it. They had been the ones that had actually said the words that healed this guy at the gate. And so it's like give us boldness and then now stretch out your hands through us and make us as bold as we can be. Make us bold. Make us the kinds of people that stand up for you and amazing things happen because we go out on the limb. We do things we wouldn't normally do. We don't play it safe. We know whose hands we're in. We know that God can control this. We know that if we will trust him and step in boldness, something amazing is going to happen. And we're going to be part of it. We get to do this. And finally, the last part of this thing says, And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so, you know, God sort of is listening to this prayer. And do you think God liked the prayer? What do you think? Thumbs up? He shook the place. He's like, yeah, that is so great. You got it. That's awesome. That's exactly what I want you to pray. And I'm just telling you, those prayers were answered. Jerusalem was turned upside down. The gospel spread throughout the region of Judea and then Samaria and then into the rest of the Mediterranean world and then beyond all the way to Rome within a lifetime. These bold prayers launched Christianity into the world. Can you imagine if the prayer that they would have prayed after this altercation was, God, give us safety. Help us never to go through that again. It was awful. If that had been their prayer, honestly, I believe, we wouldn't be talking about Christianity, you know, in 2011. We wouldn't be talking about it halfway around the world. It was that prayer, that prayer of boldness that said, launch us out, no matter what. And here's the final thing I just want you to think about. God's called us, we believe God's called us to impact Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley and these areas. Is it possible that we can do it without boldness? Without this attitude of we're in God's hands. We are going to give credit to Jesus even when it's uncomfortable. We're going to reach into somebody's life and help them with a $20 thing, even if it's kind of messy, even if it means a little bit of rejection. We're going to invite somebody to come to church, even though they're not a churchgoer, and they might say no to us, but we're going to at least give them the opportunity, and we're going to tell them about what God does in our life. I know it takes boldness. I'm exactly like you. I know what it feels to have your mouth get dry and for you to say, oh, this is so beyond me. This, I feel so, it would be so easy not to do it. And God says, why don't you try me? Why don't you step out? Do something you can't do in your own strength. Something that makes you nervous and worried. And I'm telling you this. If you start looking for the opportunities, the way that Joey and Steve were talking about, if you look for the opportunities to be bold, they are all around you. Really, the reason we don't see them is because we're not looking for them. There are opportunities to help people. There's opportunities to share about Jesus with people. There's opportunities to invite people to church. There's opportunities to get involved in the situation that you're like, this is overwhelming. I don't know if I have time or energy for it. But if you stepped into it, God would do something miraculous through you. You've got opportunities all around you, all the time. 
And the reality is, if we're going to reach Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley in this area, it will be because the God who does miracles boldly works through you. It really is. He's not going to sidestep you. He's going to work through you, in you, and things are going to change. And that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge for us. That is what we're here for a church. And if we're not going to do it, if our church is just about sort of, hey, we all hang out here and we like each other and it's cool to talk to people on the patio, but I'm not going to talk to somebody I don't know. It's cool, you know, just I need a closer place to worship than going down to Irvine. We will never reach this city. We just won't. We won't be a part of that game. It will take every single one of you and me and our staff to say, no, we're going to be bold. We're going we're gonna to be that guy, that girl that steps into it. That is the call that God has given us. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you that, that you will be bold, that you will be bold. So if you'd stand up, and I'm going to do this even, you're going to be bold here right now. You know, as you stand up, I'm just preparing you. You're going to have to be a little bold because we're going to do something that's going to feel a little silly to you. And I'm just saying, if you can do this in here, it will help launch you this week to be bold. Okay, so you ready? Okay, you prepared? You guys ready to play? In or out? In. Okay, we're in. Okay, here's, now you're like, what are we going to do? No, it's not that bad. Here's what we're going to do. I just want, we're going to accompany some hand motions with this prayer. Okay, so you're going to have to kind of watch me as we do this, and we're going to do this together. But we're going to start with our hands out like this. Put out your hands like this. And this is simply to remind us, whose hands are you in? Whose hands are you in? No matter what? No matter what, really? Even if something really sucks this week, you're going to still believe that? Yes? No matter what, you're going to know you're in God's hands, right? So, I mean, you get fired from work. Whose hands are you in? All right? And somebody comes up to you and says, I think you have the ugliest dress on. And you're going to say, whose hands are you in? And he told me to wear this dress. That's all you need to say to that, okay? You know, you're going to have some kind of health thing come up. And you're going to say, you know whose hands I'm in? I'm in God's hands. Because that's really, really, really whose hands you're in. And then we're going to pray for boldness. And we're going to go like this, okay? Boldness. And here's the situation. You are going to have opportunities this week to be bold. I'm just telling you, they will come. You will have opportunities to be bold. And you're going to have a moment of truth where you're either going to walk away from it because that's what you've done all the time. That's what I've done. I'm not pointing fingers. I can't because my God. You know, I, yeah, we walk away. But this week it's going to be different because we're going to pray for boldness. And now we're going to be what? Bold. We're going to be what? Bold. Bold. And finally, we're going to say, and God, we want you to stretch out your hands and work through who? Us. Us. We are his hands. I'm just telling you, God still does miracles, but he definitely thinks in terms of partnership, and he says, it's us. It's us. So now let me pray, because you got the hand motions. You'll have to sort of watch me for the cues, but we're going through the hand motions again, all right? You up for it? This is your first test of boldness, okay? You know, here we go. All right, so Lord, we're in your hands. We recognize that no matter what happens, no matter how hard things are, no matter how many things turn against us or, or what it looks like, that in the end, we recognize we are in your hands. It's you that hold us. And you're the creator of the world. And it means that when you hold us, we are secure in you. 
It means that ultimately you work out everything for our good. And we trust that because you are the sovereign God of the universe. And now as we ball our fists, Lord, we ask that you would make us bold. We know that we don't typically work this way. It is so much easier for us just to go along and to rationalize and to justify. But you give us opportunities to step out and to tell someone about you, even if they don't believe, or to get involved and make a tough moral choice, even when it'd be easier to go along, or to trust you when all of our instincts are to back up and to punt and to say, no, you can't handle this. But this week, Lord, make us bold. Help us to boldly invest in other people. Help us to boldly invite them to join us. And Lord, finally, we ask, as we stretch out our hands, Lord, that you're, you would work through us. You still do that. You still do powerful things through your servants. It's no different than it was 2,000 years ago. Now you do this through us. And Lord, we want to be used. Do your miracles. Do your signs. Do the things that only you can do. And we will partner with you. We will let you work through us to communicate that to people that so desperately need your good news. Lord, we are so, so grateful that you call us to partnership. Make us bold. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.